Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I was just saying that I feel like I haven't been on the show in a little while, though I know I I was on a couple weeks ago with the Marshfield Matters show, um, but I haven't been here in studio in a little while, so it's nice to be back. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. Um, I do have to apologize again that it, it this show is pre-recorded um, due to the fact that this is um, a couple of moms doing a radio show and Saturday mornings are really, really tough. So um, I appreciate the understanding. We hope to, my hope, my show will be live again, I believe in a couple of weeks. And, um, but this one is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take live calls, but we did the best we could to anticipate um, questions that people have and topics that want to be discussed. So my guest this morning is Danielle Van S of DGVE Law in downtown Hingham. I'm going to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself in a moment. But what I know is that, um, well, Danielle, first of all, this is your second time on the show, I believe. Yes, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, actually, the last show we did was regarding estate planning as well. And I it was a very well-received show. We got some calls in our office um, with questions for you and looking for your contact information. Um, so I guess uh, you were very well received. And I, I don't guess. I know you were very well received, and that was a great show. Um, so we decided to do it again because I believe that was sometime last year. Um, so Danielle's an estate planning attorney. And um, why don't you just, do you want to take a moment to just let everybody know maybe what your focuses are uh, in the field of law? Because 
uh, attorneys have very different specialties and um, so I just I didn't want to do I wanted to do you the honor of, of introducing yourself so Danielle Van Ness of DGVE Law in downtown Hingham Thank you very much for having me back, Alyssa. Um, So yes, my firm is called DGVE Law. I'm located in Hingham Square, and my practice concentrates on estate planning for families. Um, That's any type of family, from families just starting out um, all the way through families emptying their nests. And I also do probate and trust and estate administration post-death and some legal services for small businesses. And this is a small business week this week. Oh, it is. I did not know that. Learn something new every day. So great. So thank you again for being here. Um, w- the outline that I put together that Danielle and I worked on was mostly regarding uh, estate planning for families. I guess I was I was focusing on families really of any age, but maybe families of uh, families with kids, uh, younger kids, I mean by that. Um, I didn't necessarily go into any uh, estate planning for older generations as a kind of a whole separate suite and protecting assets right. from nursing homes and things like that. That's a whole separate show. So we wanted to focus today on estate planning um, for families, I guess, of on the younger side. But that can be very broad, too. Um, so we wanted to break it up into four parts. And part one, uh, for at the beginning here, we wanted to talk about um, documents that every family needs and you're going to correct me on my language there in a moment um and then part two we're going to talk about trusts i get dozens and dozens and dozens of questions um a month regarding trusts, the different types the purposes should should i have a trust stuff like that so i wanted to spend a good amount of time on trusts um and part three we were hoping to talk about um things that can go wrong if you don't do proper estate planning or if you do estate planning but don't uh, follow through on it properly or you know fund trusts and things like that so hoping to just give some real world um, some some experience or tell some you know real stories of things that we've seen in our practices that um, didn't go so well and then part four is just Q&A I just have a bunch of questions and I sort of solicited feedback from people in my circle um, and we thought we would do a little Q&A section at the end just because we don't have uh, we're not able to take live callers this morning so Again, you're listening to McNamara on Money, 95.9 WATD. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. My guest this morning is Danielle Van S. of DGVE Law in Hingham. She's an estate planning attorney. Um, and this topic today is estate planning for families. So uh, part one of my outline was documents that every family needs. And I know you're going to correct me on that. You didn't love my language there, but I thought I would get, instead of changing my language, because I didn't know what else to say, I thought I'd give you the opportunity to um, correct me on that and, and explain why I am, in your opinion, in the wrong there with that word document. Go ahead, but go ahead. Oh, thank you, Alyssa. I, I think it's not so much that it's wrong. I think that the focus really is um, not so much on the document, which is the end product, but on the counseling, the legal counseling and advice that is the starting point for the end result that is the document. Everybody wants to have a certain document as a focus. We can't count the number of phone calls we get that start with how much for a legal for a, a will, how much for a simple will. Okay. Um, so there, the focus clearly is on a will, but that might not be the end all, be all that that person needs. So really, what right. we want to start with in our office is an assessment of need rather than 
what documents do you think you need? Right. And once we've had a good conversation about that and we've gone through the legal counseling and advice, we can figure out what's the best fit to address that particular individual's unique needs, address their concerns, and come up with a plan, a comprehensive estate plan, that will be comprised of lots of different documents. Right. Um, so the estate plan is all of the different documents, but not everybody needs the exact same package, if you will, of documents. Okay, that's actually refreshing to hear because I feel like in the world of estate planners, there is, I feel, I thought that there was like a package, right? These are the, you know, four, six, eight documents that everybody needs right. and that's your estate planning package. So that's a little bit, um, that's a little bit different for me to hear. And um, I've had, lot, you know, over the years, talked to lots of different estate planning attorneys and not implying that anyone else is doing anything wrong. But but I guess I thought there was a package. So that's nice. So maybe um, maybe just walk us through the process then. So I would assume um, initial either phone call or in-person consultation. And that's when you're just asking them 100 questions. And, and that's where you're defining or, or beginning to outline uh, the documents that they need. So is that no cost, no obligation first meeting? What is, what no, is, what actually, in my office, it's not. So I okay. think um, the way that I practice is very different from the way that a lot of my okay. colleagues practice. And um, not saying that it's wrong, but it is different. Yeah. And um, so my process begins with that assessment, which always starts with a telephone call, no matter how somebody was referred to me, okay. no matter what the connection. Yeah. Um, and what we're really looking for is a desire to and an openness to become more educated about the subject. No matter how much that individual person knows already, there's always something more to learn from it. And so we need to have an open, honest conversation about what is it that they're trying to accomplish. Yep. So frequently, I'll have clients come in and say, I need a trust or I need a will. And by the time we're done with the first meeting, I'm saying you don't really need a trust. We mm. can accomplish all of these things you're concerned about with a simple will-based plan and some other probate avoidant type yep. techniques. Yep. Um, and we can get into what those yep. are. But it's not necessarily that the person who's calling needs to have it all figured out and understand which set of documents he or she needs. So the starting point is always that initial telephone call to assess a fit to work together. Yeah. And that's not with me. That's okay. with that's with my client services coordinator. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's a fancy um, title for my client <laughs> services coordinator is the the starting point. Okay. And once we've determined that there is a good potential fit to work together, she'll schedule an appointment. Then come all the questions. Okay. I don't think there are a hundred. I can't say I've <laughs> counted, but at dozen. least twenty. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so yeah. we're asking questions related to background, family, and financial information, principally. Yeah. yeah. We also want to know what's important to that particular person. What is it that's motivating them to do their estate planning? Yeah. What's happened either with their own circumstances or people close to them? There's almost always some sort of a catalyst, some motivating yeah. reason. Yep. Sometimes it's just, it's time. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just, I need to adult. I, I need yeah. to adult <laughs> I really need to grow hard. up a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes um, it's my financial advisor told me I should have these documents. Sometimes or a it plan. is. For, for years, me. my yeah. financial advisor yeah. has been telling <laughs> me, so about, I decided this was the year. That sounds about right. Or had a baby, yep. or yeah. moved, or had or a death this, in the family, yeah. or there's some something, a yeah. diagnosis of some kind. Not always, but yeah. there's usually some something that's underlying the motivation. And so if we can understand that at the outset, then I know what that person is concerned about and we can make sure that we address that first. Okay. Um, so talk about the decisions that people or the things that people need to think about before they get serious with an attorney regarding an estate plan. Because I've I've spoken to people in the past who have said, yeah, I, I know I need to go meet with an attorney. I just... 
I don't know who I would name as a guardian for my kids or I, you know, I don't know who, you know, maybe it's a married couple with no children. I don't know who I would give my assets to. I can't go meet with an attorney yet. So is there like you send them a letter or something that says like bullet points, this is what you need to have thought about? So I'm so glad that you're asking me that question because I think that is what holds so many people up from coming in to do their estate planning in the first place. I know for me personally, that was something that I really struggled with with my husband before we tackled this ourselves the first time many, many years ago. Yeah, Um, It was feeling like we needed to have all those answers before we sought out legal counseling and advice to do our plan. Yeah. So what I've learned, I've been doing this now for over 10 years, and what I've learned is that when I ask people to generate a list of who they want to be guardians for their children, who they want to manage their assets, who they want to be their healthcare agents, frequently after we've had a conversation about it, they change their mind. So I don't ask them to come in with that stuff figured out anymore. My preference would be that they come in, maybe they've given it some thought, but not that they come in I have my mind made up and this is what I mean because that's the legal counseling and advice. That's the piece of it that I can offer that, for example, a a DIY approach online is not going to be able to offer. I can share what I've learned in 10 years of doing this and all of my legal background um, to provide counseling and help the person come to a decision about what makes the most sense. Yeah, that does make sense because there are things that was bizarre. The phones are being funny. Um, pardon us. Um, it, it does make sense because when my husband and I went through the process, there are things that you don't think about regarding, like, for example, an attorney once told us, you know, your your legal guardian for your kids maybe don't necessarily have that be the same person as your financial guardian for the assets for your kids. Like, th- you know, just things you wouldn't really Absolutely. think about on your own. And I'm not an attorney and I didn't give that legal advice, but somebody said that to me once and I was kind of like, okay, that makes sense because when you talk it through, it eliminates certain conflicts of interest regarding the legal guardian, you know, using using the assets for something perhaps, you know, arguably not for the kids, stuff like that. So Well, and quite frequently, yeah. it's not the same qualifications for serving, right? The Absolutely. person you want to yeah. be guardian of your children yeah. is going to be that warm, loving, nurturing person who can be hands-on, whether we're talking about a baby or a teenager. Right. Um, and, and Someone I raising your... Got them all at this yeah. point, so <laughs> I know that whole spread. Yes. Um, you want somebody who has patience and, and warmth in yeah. that way, that's not necessarily going to be the same person who has some strong financial acumen, who understands yeah. the differences between different you know assets and what to do with them. So yeah. it's not even necessarily that there's a conflict of interest, but that there's a different skill set required yeah. for the job. Yeah, and I guess you could probably, regarding... Um, healthcare proxy or something, for example. And we'll talk about these documents in a minute. I want you to kind of give a quick definition of some of them um, in the pro- the documents that we go through in the process. But healthcare proxy, for example, when we were having these discussions, you know, you might, you I originally was thinking of someone very close to me that I have a very close relationship with that I trust with my life. But that per- is that a person that's going to be comfortable making a very difficult decision? Maybe not healthcare proxy. I'm talking about living well. I don't, you're going to have to define these for sure. us. But you know, so, someone that's making medical decisions for you um, has to be someone who's comfortable making perhaps an unemotional decision or so. You know, yeah, you know what, what, what I counsel my yeah. clients with regard to the person who would express your medical wishes, consenting to treatments, refusing treatments, and ultimately, like you're alluding to, pulling the plug. Everybody wants to talk about pulling the plug first. 
Um, you want somebody who's good under pressure. It is necessarily okay. a bad day when you get a call to be somebody else's healthcare agent, yeah. right? So you want somebody who is good under pressure. Okay. Um, that is not necessarily the oldest child. It's not necessarily your sister. It's not necessarily right. somebody that's close to you. It right. might be that a friend is better equipped to speak up in that way than your mother. Right. So um, it's, who has a lot of emo- perhaps more emotions in that situation and might not be able to. I think it just really depends on the individual person. Is that somebody who who holds it together well under pressure? They can collapse later. But in that moment, you need somebody who's a strong advocate for your wishes. Okay. Um, Can you talk us through some of the documents that you prepare for people in the estate planning process and maybe just give some quick definitions? I know you have a whole suite of documents that are potentially appropriate for people, but maybe go through some of the big ones. Sure. So um, let's see. I guess in my practice, I tend to start with trying to figure out whether we're using a will-based plan or a trust-based plan. And I know we'll talk more about the specifics of different types of trusts um, during the next segment. But as a starting point, that's what I'm looking at. Is this a family or a couple or an individual who would benefit from having a trust-based plan or a will-based plan? Okay. After we figure out that, the rest of all of the documents kind of tend to be more universal in the sense that what I would do for anybody, I would do for everybody. So we have kind of clusters of different documents, if you will. We have the financial documents, which will either be will-based or trust-based. Okay. We need that that will handle things post-death. If it's a trust, it may also handle things during lifetime. Okay. We'll talk about that more. Um, Do you have a flow chart in your office? I don't, but but I can see (laughs) it. I feel like I'm starting to see the flow chart. I have a big whiteboard in my office, and I actually do diagram the whole plan out for my clients with them. Um, I I, I play optometrist with it. I've I've sat in on some meetings with a client and their attorney, and um, I feel like the visual. Absolutely. um, component is very helpful when it, when a when an attorney has sort of done a flow chart or you know uh, that's very helpful and if it's helpful for me I'm assuming it's helpful for your average client who's yeah. having a harder time understanding it than I am no I, I always yeah. start with diagramming out what my clients have going on and what their choices are and yeah. and with a whiteboard I can erase if they don't like something and we can revise it and we can use different colors on my <laughs> whiteboard to to show different flows of different things yeah. um, all right so in a will-based plan what are like, what's what's that little package of, what's this package of documents that people have in a will-based plan? Well, if they go to another lawyer, they are going to get that exact package like you're talking yeah. about because every time somebody brings one to me, that's what I see. I yeah. see the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, but one of the components for sure would be a, a durable power of attorney to manage financial affairs in the event of your incapacity. Yeah. That type of a document won't do anything for you if you're dead. Yeah. Its sole purpose is to during assist life. during lifetime. If you can't manage your own assets, somebody else has to have access to that. Now, that applies equally to somebody who's 18 years old, which is a shocker for a lot of parents of young adults. So much younger than you would think, yeah. Right? Yeah. A, an 18-year-old in the eyes of the law is a legal adult, and okay. that individual young adult child needs to also have his or her own durable power of attorney whether or not that person has any real estate probably not yeah um whether he or she has a child probably not yeah um but that child is going to have some type of financial contract whether it's a gym membership a mobile phone contract a lease on an apartment whatever it is a car rental something oh wow you wouldn't think of that stuff yeah and if he or she wants help from a parent you need to have the legal authority to do that okay right um that's interesting you wouldn't 
assume that most 18 year olds have assets that and you would need a, a power of attorney but good something. examples yeah okay go ahead um so that would be the the really on the financial side that would be the big one the other thing that i've been paying more and more attention to over the past couple of years are all of these social media um assets if you will photo sharing sites certainly okay. facebook um Instagram, Pinterest, depending on how it's used and how important it is to the individual person yeah. from a young adult to an older adult, maybe who's a photographer or an artist that uses that as a way to showcase his or her artwork okay. or small business. Yeah, um, It's important to think about how people will have access to those types of assets. In the event In the event they're... of incapacity or death. Oh. Um, so is a separate document for that? I've created one that I use in my practice for my clients and okay. I also incorporate provisions into uh, the durable power of attorney that I draft as well as the will yeah. or trust depending on which is the operative. Okay. Um, so paying a lot of attention to that again all ages um, from very young adult to very senior adult. So maybe this is a dumb question, but how do you know like that Facebook is going to honor that document? We don't. That's a okay. yeah. So it's a third-party contract, and okay. um, Facebook is an example where they have created their own process internally. And I do review with my clients how to go over that and how to set their preferences yeah. accordingly. Okay. But just in case, to the extent it might be helpful. Um, in addition to giving legal authority to the extent of our ability in these legal documents to manage those types of assets, we don't have a statute on this in Massachusetts yet. So it's kind of it's grasping still at straws. New, it's yeah. brand new. It's really not new. Social media has been around a really long time. But, but the law yeah. is very slow to yeah. catch up to technology. Okay. Um, other types of digital assets that we have a lot of trouble with in the event of someone's incapacity or death are things like Apple iTunes accounts. Um, oh. The transponder in your car that's connected to a, either a checking account or a credit card to pay your tolls. Yeah. These types of things, they pop up routinely. Um, hmm. What's your utilities? Are they in your, your name or your husband's name? And if something happens to one of you, which do we need to contact and transfer over? Will they even talk to you? Oh, my goodness. Um, All these little things you wouldn't right. even think about. Right. So the idea is that's exactly it, is let's think about all these little things now yeah. while we can just plain ask the other person yeah. or make these changes before it's a problem, before okay. it's a crisis and everybody's struggling with it. So you're, did you just say that your durable power of attorney includes language for um, not just financial assets, but for, what did you call them? Digital, digital assets. Digital assets. Digital okay. assets, okay. yeah. So we're trying to address digital assets as well as just wishes regarding social media accounts. Yeah. Any experience, well, I don't know how many years you've been drafting that document, but any experience yet on it being honored or not honored? Uh, knock wood, I've not had to test that okay. yet. Yeah, still relatively new. Okay, that's an interesting one. What about a living will? So, so when I... When I um, think of the estate planning package, which you're redefining for us, and I appreciate that, it's a nice perspective, um, I think of the will, the living will, the durable power of attorney, the healthcare proxy, and the HIPAA form. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more, and I know you have more, and you've got your own. Right. Um, can you maybe just quickly walk us through some of those, just for, from a definition? Point of view. Yeah. So, them. so let's talk about them in order of how you use them. Okay. Um, that's right. how I prepare them. It's how I lay them out. My clients' completed portfolios. That's how I deliver it. Yeah. So the first one that I think of is a separate HIPAA authorization. Um, you mentioned that. Yeah. It's possible to have HIPAA provisions within a healthcare proxy, and I do draft those into my healthcare proxy. But if you think, if you try to call an insurance company 
for your husband if he's the patient oh my and goodness. you call. It's so frustrating. They say, ma'am, I cannot speak to you. You're not yep. the patient. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to say I'm his authorized agent under HIPAA and okay. fax a copy of that right over to the person you're talking with. Okay. And then they start talking and now you okay. can address the thing. So to have a separate HIPAA authorization makes it really easy to deal with just that one thing. Do you have access to these medical records or these insurance records? Okay. We don't have to care about all the other authority that you can give to somebody under a healthcare proxy. Let's just talk about access to okay. the records. Okay. So that's a HIPAA authoriza- authorization. Under a healthcare proxy, now you're giving authorization not only to access the medical records, but also to consent to treatments, refuse treatments, authorize admittance to a facility, hire home health care aides. Um, this is under the HIPAA form? Under the health care proxy. Oh, I'm sorry. Health care. Okay. Okay. Right. So anything that is related to your okay. unique health care medical okay. decisions and health care. Okay. If you can still be the one who's self-advocating, of course you will be. But in the event that you're not able to express your own wishes then somebody else has to. And so that's where it's important to have those conversations with the people that know you really well and make sure that they understand what your wishes would be. Yeah. But then also to choose someone who, in a crisis moment, under pressure, is going to be able to stand up in a bad situation and say no to a doctor. I know she would never want that. Or yes, this is what she said she wanted. Okay. Um, so that's really where the power, the teeth come in to okay. make those choices. So in a health in a healthcare proxy, is it like I'm going to use the word springing because I feel like you guys use that in the legal world. Like, d- d- does someone have to be com- declared incapacitated in order for a healthcare proxy to spring into action, like a power of attorney, like a springing power of attorney, or is it you like, or is it like a durable power of attorney where it's always where it's enforced no matter what your cognitive ability is that? Um, did I? I don't know if I. I'm seeing a blend of things. Okay. So let's. Um, so I think the definition of incapacitated can be within the document itself. So oh, you okay. say, I am so incapacitated okay. if blah, blah, blah. You okay. know, I'm unable to right. express my own wishes. Okay. What you're talking about, springing or not, is really more in the um, power of attorney context. If somebody wants to give power now to be able to manage their financial affairs. So a husband and wife is a good example, or um, a mother and an adult child. They can say, I want you to have that authority right now, where somebody else might say, no, I only want to give you this authority if and when I'm actually found to be incapacitated, not sooner. So with the healthcare, I guess I'm thinking of a situation where I'm in the hospital and I have, um, let's say, my adult daughter as my healthcare proxy, and I tell the doctor something, and then meanwhile they get a phone call from my daughter, who's my healthcare proxy with a different directive. You're still in charge. You're still talking. You still have capacity. Unless they're the, listening unless to you. Unless the doctor sa- makes a determination. Okay. Right. I don't know why my mind would think that. I hope my daughter would never Don't do name her though. if you're worried about that. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, all right. Let's we'll take a break in a couple of quick minutes. I kind of wanted to wrap up this um, sort of defining the estate planning process. How was that for a, for a title for this segment as opposed to documents that every family needs? Um, I just wanted to quickly talk about how this stuff ties in with people's assets and their money and, and what I do for my clients. Um, you mentioned the power of attorney, which is that financial, which is that document that applies to, um, I guess, ability to access, get information, and make decisions regarding financial assets. So in our world, if, some, if one of our clients does become um, unable to make decisions on their own, you know, we... <clears throat> 
once in a while we'll get a phone call from a family member saying my you know my mom is in the hospital I need funds or um, you know my mom isn't you know she's her mind isn't there anymore you know I need to start making decisions for this account and you know that's not all that uncommon to have you know as people age to have um, the family start taking control of the finances and that you know that's no problem if someone has the power of attorney there's been a couple of situations in the past where that document wasn't prepared when it should have been prepared and it was a legal battle to get that person um, I guess well, you can't put it. I don't know if they put a power of attorney in place, or it was a legal battle for that person to have access to over the gain finances. conservatorship over their assets. Yeah, right? exactly. So, um, you know, in in my world, it's no problem. I just need a copy of the power of attorney. We submit it to the financial custodian, and then that person is listed right on the account internally anyway. Um, and we can have conversations with that person just like we would have conversations with the account owner. So it's a pretty simple process from my point of view, again, when the document is in place. Right. Um, and current. It has to be current. It can't have been drafted 10 oh. and 12 years ago. Oh, what's the definition of current? Uh, so it depends on, on whichever institution. Company, um, I yeah. know that certain big institutions won't accept one past five years old. Um, so okay. in my process, I have a review meeting with my clients every three years. And every three years, if we do nothing else, we'll just sign a new power of attorney just so we've reviewed it. We okay. discussed it. Same people. And it's current. Yeah. Better to be safe than sorry and have to, you know, it's a, because sometimes, you know, you get those calls and someone needs money in a pinch. And if you have to go through this process of, no, this isn't current, go meet with your attorney. My right. attorney's not free until next week. But, you know, so, um, you know. Fair enough. Get just get it done so you don't have to worry about the details later. Um, we're going to have conversations regarding beneficiaries and how this whole this whole estate planning process brings up conversations regarding how beneficiaries should read because you're talking about you know, a big part of the estate planning process is where my assets go when they're when I'm not here anymore. Um, just a conversation that I have with my clients is. In my world, there's two broad types of investment accounts. One is a qualified account, which is an IRA, 401k, um, simple, Roth. All, qualified monies and retirement accounts, they have beneficiaries by nature of the fact that they're a retirement account. And, they, and you name your beneficiaries. Anyone that has an IRA, 401k, you will have at least been asked to name your beneficiaries, and hopefully you did. But non-retirement assets, what we call non-qualified assets in our world, they don't have beneficiaries by nature of the fact that they're a non-qualified asset. So the conversations I have with people are, I'm not an attorney, but it's my understanding that those, you know, any asset that has a named beneficiary, like life insurance as well, upon your death, assets pass directly to those named beneficiaries in the percentages that you've indicated. Non-qualified assets that don't have beneficiaries unless you name them, we'll talk about that in a second, um, those are probated assets. Again, unless they're in a trust, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. Um, and the and the will guides what happens with those assets. You can correct my language if I'm not saying this <laughs> pro properly. the The will determines division of those assets because or trust or or, or trust <laughs> um, because they don't have named beneficiaries. So I have these conversations with clients all the time. Um, people should know that, however, on a non-qualified or non-retirement asset, individually owned, jointly owned with a spouse or, or whomever, um, there is an ability to name a beneficiary, make that what's called a transfer on death. This might be one of those vehicles that you were alluding to using in, in your estate right. planning process, and we can get into more details. But there is an ability 
to name a beneficiary and make that a non-probated asset. And and in that instance, when you name a beneficiary in a non-qualified account and actually in a qualified account, those beneficiary designations supersede a will. I think that's the right term. I've actually looked that up before. Um, and, and so whatever it says in the will, if it's different from how you've named your beneficiaries, the will is not going to determine division of assets that have a named beneficiary. So those are important discussions that I have with my clients. And oftentimes I'm having those discussions and people are kind of, well, my will says this, and oh, I have this trust. And, uh, and I'm just kind of like, you need to call your attorney or go get that cover letter that they sent you after you completed your estate planning process. Process, and we need mm. to reference that to make sure that we're, you're making a funny face, um, to make sure that you know we're naming these things correctly. So um, I'll give you a couple of minutes, however much time you want to respond to that, because you made a funny face when I said that cover letter. You do a meeting, so many don't things. you? Some, some, so some many attorneys things. do a meeting. We'll take a break in one second. Um, what, so what, what, what's your response to that or comments on that? So two things really quickly. Okay. I would just qualify that the qualified accounts actually will go to the beneficiaries. That's yep. true, provided that, and, and the pay on death or transfer on death designations can be helpful to avoid probate yep. unless the beneficiary is a minor child yep. Yep. or the beneficiary is under disability. Okay. Or the beneficiary is collecting needs-based benefits. Interesting. Yep. Good All point. of those can be really yep. good reasons yep. not to do it that way. Okay. And so there can't be a one-size-fits-all. Right. Um, and we can dig into that a lot more. Yeah. The with regard to the letter, um, you just I've seen those, some of those letters. Yes, <laughs> I, I've seen them too. Um, I've seen them when my clients come to me after having worked with another attorney, and it's ten years, twelve years, yeah. twenty years since they did it. And yeah. I'm talking reputable firms and reputable yeah. attorneys. There is no um, kind of standard expectation that your lawyer will help you properly fund your trust yeah. or designate your beneficiaries. Yeah. It is unusual, actually, that they will do that. So in my firm, one of the things that sets DGV law apart from other estate planning attorneys and firms is I have a designated funding coordinator on staff. Okay. All we do from the very first initial meeting until the end is try to get a really good handle on what are the assets that this person has or this couple has. How are they titled? How are they designated? Are these properly titled or properly designated? Do we need to change them? Yeah. And it's a whole big part of our process. Yeah. Um, I, I remember that from our last conversation that do you want me to answer this phone? <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember that that you do the fun, you do a funding meeting or, or that's you, right. the coordinator and um, but I will say, however, the attorneys that write the letter better than no letter. Yes, be, be, <laughs> because yes. there have been situations when there is sort of no instruction regarding. Um, you know, here's your estate plan, now what? Because right. there are often follow-ups. Although steps. I, yeah. I write a very long explanation of exactly how to do it yeah. and why and yeah. um, and provide very detailed steps. And we yeah. still get follow-up calls and emails constantly because it's complicated. It's complicated. And, you know, I think when, when people go to meet with an estate planning attorney, oftentimes when they're in a meeting, I'm sure things are making perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Well, it's overwhelming, but I think in that meeting, in the moment, it's making sense. And you have your whiteboard and, you know, or your, your your flowchart and it's making sense and then a day a week a month later it's kind of like what 
what just happened. Right. I'm not sure why we did this. So right. um, the cover letter does help. We have a whole the process to, to track yeah. it and stay on top of it for months after yeah. the clients leave. That's we fantastic. don't just yeah. send them on their way. Good. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, McNamara Financial in Marshfield. I'm talking this morning with Danielle Van S of DGVE Law. You can find them at dgvelaw.com for Danielle G. Van S. Uh, law.com and we're going to take a quick break we're talking about estate planning for families we're going to talk about trusts when we come back in just a moment (laughs) 